uh, we went that whole deployment after relieving a unit who had to get combat replacements. We went that whole deployment and was successful. By the time we left, we had the locals calling us, telling us where Zarqawi's guys were. In this episode, we feature our dear friend, Kenny Hagler, who served in the United States Marine Corps during the start of the global war on terror and dive deep into his combat experiences overseas, his struggles getting back to the civilian lifestyle during post-war and the lack of leadership and team building for many veterans in the corporate business world. Real stories, real heroes for a real cause. This is Never Left Behind, the podcast. Kenny, what's going on, man? Oh, man, just uh, living the dream, brother. I appreciate you uh, hopping in tonight into uh, this podcast. I know we've been kind of waiting to do something, and now that holidays have passed and everything like that, it's kind of like the perfect time to get set up before I get on the road. Yeah, absolutely. Um Hold on one second. Sorry about that. I almost forgot the most important part, and that was shutting the door. <laughs> <laughs> like, critical. <laughs> this would all be unusable if I uh, didn't shut the door. <laughs> yeah, like an- animals, kids running around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I got the same thing here. I've actually had to, this like mountain behind us is actually like soundproof boarding. And so oh, it's supposed awesome. to help a little I need bit. That. Yeah, it's like definitely acoustical foam would be way better, but um, it just looks kind of cool, and then it does work a little bit. Yeah, you can go all like uh, hustle and flow and throw some egg cartons up there. Ooh. Thought about it. Uh, we, were, we were close. <laughs> we started gathering some, and I was like, man, I'll just use these. Put some spray foam in it. Yeah, it should, should go behind like a food line in their dumpsters and yeah. pull all the egg all the egg bins and cut them up. Make, hey, gotta make be, it uh, super ghetto. Got to be, uh, you got to get that redneck ingenuity. Yeah. Redneck sound booth. <laughs> Redneckified. <laughs> Dude, so how cool is it that uh, Dan and you, we can get into it, and I know Dan and you will totally vibe off of it, but play in the same league of hockey and are connected through Tom with Fairways for Warriors. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, it's 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 really amazing. I mean, like, got plugged in like that. Um and and just i mean found a whole community i mean it was, it's pretty awesome yeah i was just kind of out of the blue too like you know i uh got connected to tom through scott who's also on the warriors team and then um the reason i talked to tom was i joined the um fairways for warriors after talking to scott and then tom is the national president but he actually called me like i guess for i don't know if he did this for you too but it seems like for every new member, I guess that he can, he, you know, has him, you know, gives him a phone call or whatever and introduces himself. So when he called me, he left me a voicemail uh, cause I was in the middle of work, but I ended up calling him back and I kind of told him the very, very beginnings of this book. And he just got super excited about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sent us a list of names of people who he thought would be interested or interesting to having this book as well and kenny was on there and i didn't put two and two together that you know kenny was on the warriors team and that i was on it too until after we started talking (laughs) but it's kind of kind of funny 
Yeah, that's, I mean, and, and, you know, it, it makes sense that Tom got so, cause, uh, you know, Tom, well, he lives in Wake Forest, so he's really, um, active with the North Carolina guys. Um, but, uh, I mean, we went, I went over his house, uh, to pick up something and, um, we ended up, he's got a picture of him and George Bush on the wall. Right. Wow. Like, and I'm just like, what? That's crazy. <laughs> like, of course, he hands me an autographed golf ball from Graham McDowell. And I was like, who is this guy? You know, <laughs> That's how do you know all these people? But, uh, you know, I say that because, you know, he got into, you know, what George Bush done with his drawings and stuff like that. And, um, you know, started talking about that. So that's really how he, you know, talked about the book. He's like, you know, same way, you know, George Bush done that. Um, these guys are doing it with pictures and I was like, man, that's awesome. You know? Mm -hmm. And so the whole thing has a really cool connection you know how it came together yeah and what what sounds horrible on my end is i had no idea that portraits of courage even existed that george bush did and right. so it was basically like me coming over to north carolina from california and talking to dan about how i want to somehow you know correlate my photography with like a book for veterans or you know maybe just do like an art book and then i donate proceeds towards veterans and then that's when dan was like well, I got one better for you. I think you should just travel around and interview veterans and use them for the book. And so, and then we started looking up and talking to people and everyone's like, I don't know why that hasn't been done yet. The only person we can think of that's come close is doing paintings, which is George Bush. And then Dan bought the book and we were like, holy shit, like this is awesome. Yeah. Like I had heard of Portraits of Courage and I think, uh, the reason I know I knew about it was because um, one of my friends, his brother is actually in the book and is painted. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually know a few more people now that we've started this project, um, like, you know, connected either through a first degree connection or third degree connection, you know, um, that I know other people that are in the book and uh, portraits of courage. So it's been kind of interesting, like connecting the dots. Um, but yeah, I didn't know too much about it until we really started this project. And then I was like, I just have to buy the book because I need to know, you know, I, I want to see all the pages, um, not just whatever's online. So it's been pretty cool to, to connect it and see, you know, what George Bush did. And then, you know, we're doing something similar, but at the same time, I feel like it's like George Bush's book was very intimate to him, mm -hmm. which is awesome because, you know, he remembers their faces, he remembers their stories and it's all him basically narrating um, you know, each of these veterans and then, you know, from our take though, how we're adapting it a little bit different is we are talking to each veteran and not just telling the stories of like what's impactful to us, but also telling the stories of, you know, real life, yeah. what happens after military, what happens after, you know, your service, after combat, all those types of things. So I think Absolutely. this, this will be hopefully a lot more, um, impactful to to some people as well that read it and i, I don't know how much i don't want to give away too much of the book but i i do think I a think lot of people a little bit i don't think it gives away too much of it so we've you know the book has been evolving but um you know with it being the 20th anniversary of september 11th and also the global war on terror um it just made sense to open the book that way so the same way that we got into the global war on terror um, with the, you know, the attack on the world trade centers, that's how we're opening the book. 
oh, you're giving that away? You fucking spoiled it. <laughs> <I'm just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no. that's that's how we're opening the book. So yeah. like you, uh, you know, I I'm not going to give any more details away, but um, yeah, that's that's what you get into is like, you're like immediately opening. You're like, oh shit, I forgot. You know, hopefully nobody forgot, but there's some people that are going to read it that are serving now who weren't alive. You know what I mean? When, That's what's crazy <laughs> when it happened. Yeah. So they have, you know, they've only seen photos. They've only seen, you know, small clips and things. So hopefully when people open it and they read it, they just instantly get impacted. And then, you know, obviously going into all these veteran stories and everybody who served, it's like, it's so important to preserve the stories so that, you know, not only that day is never forgotten, but each of the veterans that served over the last 20 years are not forgotten. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Kenny, when you were playing hockey, did you and Dan ever play in the same games or is it a, like a local North Carolina league that plays in multiple different places with different teams? No, no, he's, he's, he's much better than me. So uh, <laughs> we, don't, we don't play together. <laughs> we have, um, we have two divisions, uh, what we call a B league and a, a C league. Um, so the, what is it? USA hockey warriors program is uh sponsored by usa hockey mm. and it's all disabled veterans um and really it's just you know different states that want to get involved or different programs that want to get involved um I, i'm pretty sure it's free to start up a membership with it um but the stipulation is every veteran that joins each warrior team has to have some sort of service connected disability and then those teams typically there's two major uh, tournaments every year that all the warrior teams from across the country compete. Oh, okay. One of them's in Vegas. Uh, and I can't remember the names of them off offhand. Kenny, I don't know if you can't, if you remember, I do not, um, what we'll the link them or something, but, uh, yeah, one of them, I, I think it's disabled fit. fit. Ah, that sounds bad, but I want to say that's what it's called. Disabled vets. No disabled vest. Disabled vest. Fest. Fest. Like festival. Jesus, I might be saying that completely wrong, and I apologize if I am. But <laughs> I, th I think that's it. So okay, all right, that, that's what I thought, and that I believe that one's in Vegas, and then there's another one in Pittsburgh, if I'm uh, not mistaken, every year, and those are like the two big ones that all the teams nationally get together okay. and compete in the tournament. Kenny, did you know how to play hockey before you joined the league? Then no, absolutely not. Really? So, like, so here's it was it's it's really a pretty awesome uh journey because it like i guess uh what in september is when the league started um so literally like i mean i, I i'm sitting there looking for stuff because my son was getting into hockey and i'm just out like kind of tinkering around just looking for different stuff to get him involved with mm -hmm. and then i ran across uh, the warriors and i was like man i've been wanting to play hockey since i watched the mighty ducks like back in the 90s you oh know? yeah that was the shit <laughs> like you know i wore those wore those vhs's out you know and and so um <laughs> so I, I was like you know what i'm just i'm gonna shoot an application to see what happens you know i mean i've hadn't even been on ice since like 2000 and like four or something like that you know i was yeah. in the marine corps at the time and uh and so all of a sudden I get an email back from Travis, like, Hey, welcome to the program. And, you know, I'll send you the link to the, um, to whatever you need. And then he's like, Hey, we're starting up a team. You know, if you want to join, let me know. Mm -hmm. Um, it's like, well, you know, why not? Whatever, you know, I'll just sit on the bench. 
and <laughs> yeah, so like I'm throw, I'm getting gear together. You know, the the day of our first game, I get out on the ice, um, brand new skates. I don't even think I had skated in the skates I had at at that time. And you know, I'm I'm just falling, like it's it's horrible. Like, but they're like, get in there, you know, it's your shift. And I'm like, I'm like, these guys expect me to do something, you know. And I just went to work, man. Every oh, every chance I got, I'd get on the ice. And uh, cause it was, it was, that was the coolest part of it. It's like, all of a sudden I had like this, these, these, this group of guys, like, even if I was going to go mess up, like they still kind of counted on me, you know, like in some weird way. Um, <laughs> so I just, I just went to work and, and, you know, I've gotten, uh, gotten better. Um, but, you know, I've been, I've been skating for what, three months now. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> but you can um, see the difference. Like, uh, uh, Kenny's not the only one. There, there's a few people that are basically brand new to hockey um that started kind of around the same time because i i think a lot of you probably um because it was the same time for me uh initially applied and then COVID happened and everything kind of shut down for a period of time and then once it all started back up um like finally people were able to get on their skates and skate around the ice and stuff so it, it's incredible how quickly people can develop from literally not even being able to stand on the ice hmm. to then you know playing a full game and understanding like positioning passing shooting um things like that and it's just it's because like what kenny was saying is the group of guys know that people are learning and developing especially in the c league Mm -hmm. and so it's much more of an opportunity of like each person knows where they're at in the team and they know they need to develop and each person on the team is encouraging each other to develop I can imagine the tenacity and the drive too that comes from being in the military. It's kind of like, you know, if you're slipping all over the place, your mindset's like, I'm going to fucking figure this out. Yeah. I'm going to get it done. Yeah. I, I want to figure this out. You know, most people, I feel like it, like getting fed up and just quit. But I feel like it's it, kind of like when you're military, you don't have an, an opportunity. You can't quit. Definitely. And it, it was much different than golf. You know, like with golf, I feel like, you know, like I feel like with hockey, I could get out there, get mad you know, and like, and just, I'm, I'm, I'm only going to get, have so much effort, you know, like mm-hmm. eventually my body's just going to be like, no, nah, it's time to stop, you know, but like with golf, it's like all mental. So it was like, um, you know, me and Tom were playing golf a lot through the summer, you know, they were doing a lot of different stuff through the summer. And, um, I was just like, I'm not getting any better. Like this game, <laughs> I'm ready to throw my clubs <laughs> in the next pond. I see. Dude, that's all and, part of the sport. Uh, <laughs> do I? That's all part of the sport. You're not yeah, playing exactly. golf unless and you throw your clubs. <laughs> so it, it was really like, it was, it was good. Cause I mean, it's, it's exactly what I needed when I needed it. It was, it was, it was pretty cool. So, um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's been great. And like, Dan, you know, that, that group of guys is, you know, amazing. Um, it's, uh, it's pretty cool to have them uh, that, that, in, in that team set. <clears throat> That's another big, uh, organization is, Obviously, Tom's and, you know, Fairways for Warriors. How long ago did you get signed up with their program and playing golf with the other veterans? Um, so it's it's really, I mean, I, I didn't do anything. Um, then I got out in 2006. I didn't, I, had, I didn't do any of those programs, like Wounded Warrior, none mm-hmm. of that. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I think I was out for three or four years before I even went to the VA. Um, and uh, so if someone told me, at the school about about tom and he was very adamant he's like you gotta meet this guy you meet this and like that was in february i think mm-hmm. so i sent over the application 
Um, and I think uh, the guy followed up with me. He's like, Hey, did you get in touch with Tom? And I was like, no. And, you know, I sent over my application. I haven't heard anything. Um, I guess they were tangled up with all the COVID stuff. And, and all of a sudden Tom calls and he's like, Hey, uh, did you send your application? And, you know, next thing I know, he's like, I'll get this figured out, you know? <laughs> Like, you That's know, cool. Tom is, and, and he's just, he's been amazing, man. He got me, uh, you know, I ended up doing some therapy sessions with that and, um, you know, playing golf and, and just Tom's one of those guys, like, if you tell him you got a problem, you got to like, tell him to like tone it. Like, it's okay, Tom. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm fine. You know, like, cause he'll yeah. just, he'll just do stuff and you're like, you know, it, it's, it's amazing. He's, he's a, one of a kind. I mean, <laughs> that guy has found his calling. And he does a phenomenal job at what he does there. With, that's uh, fairways. That's incredible. I I can't wait to meet Tom in person. I haven't met him yet. Um, you know, I've talked to him on the phone. I think twice now and through email several times. But what's his last name again, real quick, in case people want to look him up? Under Underdown. Tom Underdown. Right. Under sure. yeah, Underdown. And then he's yep, the yeah. founder of Fairways for Warriors. Yeah. Okay. And. uh no, uh, like just from talking to him and stuff. And like I said, when I first had that conversation about, you know, what I'm doing. So he called me to, you know, introduce me to the program. And then I'm throwing a curveball at him. It was like, well, let me tell you about what I'm doing, you know. But for somebody to, to listen to that and then just get so over the moon excited about it. Um, yeah. You know, you can mm -hmm. just tell immediately that this guy loves all veterans. Like he wants to figure out how he can serve in a better way even though he's doing an incredible job, he wants to figure out like what's the next thing he can do. Um, and I, I wish there were more people like that. Like it's, it's incredible. Just like have that selfless service for any other person in general. Um, but then obviously, you know, giving to the veteran community mm -hmm. and correct me if I'm wrong, because I apologize, Tom, if he's listening ever to this and I get it wrong, but I don't think he served in the military. No, he didn't. Right. No, no, it, that's just insane to me. So like, yeah, uh, you know, what Bo's doing with this book is, is, you know, along that same path, but, um, for Tom to give as much time and energy and money and everything into this that he has, um, it is incredible. And I'm hoping, you know, we'll grow to that level eventually. I was just about to say him and I don't even come close. Tom's doing way more, um, than I'm doing. Like, obviously, we have a new business and we're creating a book, but from the stories that I've heard about Tom from, uh, Josh and Roy, who are two other guys that are part of fairways for warriors that represent the Virginia chapter. They've told yeah. me that like, dude, he'll send out like holiday emails. And you were telling me about that email to yeah. where any veteran families that are struggling financially that need food on the table or anything like that. He's told stories about, um, I think Roy told me a story about, that either him or another veteran uh, needed to go to the airport and Tom drove like two and a half, three hours to take him to the airport and then yeah. pick him up like a week later. Yeah. Tom just like that. basically picks up out of nowhere and does all these things for veterans. And I'm like, damn, that's, that's how organizations I feel like need to be ran. Yeah. Like people like I, Tom. I don't know how much anybody knows about, but so I, I, I wasn't really going to share this, but I, I feel like it, it needs to be shared. Um, and I, I don't know how Tom would feel about it, but, but Tom actually gave me a car. Really? Not even joking. No, I'm, I'm not even exact. So, so we, our car was totaled back in September, um, went through a big water puddle 
um, it sucked water up in the motor. It ended up totaling the car. I was like a month long process dealing with the insurance and all this. We ended up buying another car. Well, Tom was like, um, you know, I, I, I'm not done yet. Cause I'm like, think, I'm thinking of, he helped me out with something, you know? And, uh, uh he's like, you need help with the, uh, we were struggling financially at the time. And he was kind of like, you need, you need, uh, you need help with the, um, deductible or anything. And I was like, no, I think we got it. You know, I think, uh, just another week or so he, he stopped by, he's like, here, let me help you out with that. And I'm like, Tom, you don't have to, I'm, I'm thank you so much. You know, I'm, I'm, we, we got it figured out. And so then out of the blue one day I get a text message and he says, Hey, are you at home? And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm working from home, you know? And, um, he's like, I'm heading over there. I'll be there in like 30 minutes or whatever it was. And, uh, I was like, okay. I was like, what's going on? You know, <laughs> what is this guy doing? And he not, you know, he, he, he sends me a text message and tells me he's here and, and to go outside with the kids. And he's, he's like, you see that white car right there? He's like, you like it? He's like, you can have it. What the <laughs> fuck? He's what? Like, he's like, you want I a mean, new car? And, you know, he, yeah, he is. <laughs> he is selling me. Like he's giving me the car, but he is going through the process of selling me this car. Like he's like telling me how great it is, you know. Like, and I'm just like, man, this this guy is something else, you know. And like, of yeah. course, I had to get back to work. It was like this. It was like it was crazy. Like I couldn't even process it. Like I was like, oh man, like. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, you know what do i do with this and uh yeah so that 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 is the that's the type of guy he is i mean that's awesome you know. dude he is a he's a walking talking breathing rack a random act of kindness like he is just totally. he embodies everything yeah. that is that and that's dude that's incredible but the cool thing is that obviously buying a car um you know donating money it, it's not just that though. Like it's, you know, there's organizations that only do that. And Tom is basically like doing that because it's actually benefiting and helping people. But then he's also like hosting these like golf tournaments yeah. and getting people out in the outdoors and nature and surrounding all these guys together that can help grow and, and promote healthy lifestyles together. And I think that's kind of yeah, what it's all about. If you can balance all of it, that's like the perfect combination. He and he he has like you know that's the thing about fairways you know they say they have this holistic approach, I mean he'll get guys lined up with therapy, mm-hmm. arc therapy, um and and to the point where like he's he's paying for this stuff and he'll mm-hmm. call you and be like hey have you went to this appointment, or have you set up an appointment with this person you know like yep he he follows up and and that's I mean that's phenomenal yeah. for, uh, for any organization you know. Um, I think, you know, with any organization, they get mission drift, but you don't have to worry about that with Tom. <laughs> like you better get cool. back on track or you're out of here. <laughs> can he, can he get your ass together? <laughs> yeah. Um, but did you yeah, play so golf well, before you joined up on that with uh, fairways warriors? Yeah. Well, I, I played, uh, you know, I, I mean, I just, honestly, we, we just never really had the money, you know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, um, so when we moved into my, we, we bought a house, uh, about five years ago and we were living there for about less than six months. The house got broke into, they stole my golf clubs. Um, Jeez. and you know, peace of mind was probably the worst part of that. But, um, so I just never got another set of clubs and, mm-hmm. and, you know, just, uh, uh, I think I finally got a, like a secondhand set and, and went out and, and Tom goes to his car and like pulls out, you know, f- first day out there, he's like, 
here, you want to use these, you know, he brings an extra set of golf clubs, gives me a shirt, a hat, you know, like, um, yeah, I mean, and then, uh, he gave you a set of clubs. Yeah. Dude, this yeah, guy definitely. is like, literally <laughs> like, like, Hey, you need that? Hey, do you like these new boots I'm wearing? Well, they're all yours. Like, yeah, fuck, yeah, dude? he's doing everything. I'll walk for across it. these hot coals. It's no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it's it's been amazing. Uh, and you know, I'm I'm in seminary, so like, I think you know, it, it's crazy because you you would think you find a lot of people like that within the church, mm-hmm. and um, and you know, I think even if you talk to people, um, you know, they're like, oh well you know, I would help a person with stipulations, right? Like that they come to church every Sunday or um, that they do this or they do that. And, you know, it's like, I'm not saying Tom doesn't ask for anything in return, like a, a, a response to what he's doing for this person. Right. But um, I mean, he really does it, you know, kind of, you know, whatever happens, happens. I'm going to do this. You know, if you let me down, you let me down. But I'm going to, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And I think that's amazing, you know, as, and he's, you know, he's somebody to look up to. So having him as a role model, as a friend, as all those things has been, has been phenomenal, especially the past year um, with with everything that's went on. Um, But, you know, I I too wonder, and I I don't know like how how much we want to get into this, but like, I'm guessing his idea, his ideal is like, it, it's going to have a trickle down effect, right? He positively impacts somebody and it's like a pay it forward, give it to the next person. You know, yeah. when you're fortunate yeah. enough to, to help somebody else in need, like you help somebody else in need. And I, I imagine oh, right. this yeah. has happened in fairways for warriors, especially with all these, you know, other chapters that are, that are, um, you know, opening up, you know, the, he started the first one, I think in Florida and then it was North Carolina and now it's Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if there's others as well. Uh, but they're, might be and uh so i wonder you know if this i'm hoping it does um you know i know a lot about tom now but you know is it trickling down to other people because i'd I'd love to see that you know i mean i'm sure other people would too and and tom would as well but as an organization overall so even if you took tom out of the picture right which i'm not tom's obviously a big part of the picture but if you took tom out of the picture ferris warriors is still an incredible program yeah like just getting veterans outside communicating. Like, so I went to one tournament. Um, let's see when, when was it? It was probably about two, three months ago. Mm-hmm. So sometime in October, I think. Um, and it was awesome. I mean, it was incredible. There was probably 40, probably 40 veterans there. Yeah. Um, and it was just great to hit the links and it was great. Cause I was with an air force guy, a Marine and I think a Navy guy, or actually no, it was two navies and a Marine. And, uh, of course, I schooled all of them because I had to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dan, Dan's the kind of guy that's like good at everything. It's It's been unfair since I was five years old. Um, but I uh, but yeah, it was it was awesome because, you know, those three knew each other. They didn't know me. But the whole time we're just all joking with each other the entire time because we all have, you know, a similar shared experience. So just being able to like spend the time to just kind of more or less let loose with a bunch of other people who are like-minded and then, you know, spend time outside enjoying the outdoors, um, you know, get some vitamin D, um, you know, just, just get out there and then everything else that comes with it that we've already talked about. So, um, 
what was uh, i'm trying to remember well first of all uh he also has a, a connection with a cbd company that they provide like 50 percent off cbd for anybody who's in fairways warriors mm -hmm. they have the um you know obviously these random things that that tom does and these gift cards to help veterans out um, but then what is that the therapy as well that they they offer yeah the art therapy yeah the, the to the rapid eye movement um yeah you said they, you said you you've been to a few of those or have you had any experience yeah, with it yeah and and then you know she'll uh they'll also move over and like talk therapy as well um you know and and uh so and actually it's the the one of the ladies uh to uh they, he has two therapists um the lady that i was you know um kind of a regular with for a little while uh you know she she actually retired um she worked with special forces at fort bragg so um that, that was kind of you know one of her jobs uh when they got back, you know, just letting them decompress and, mm -hmm. and process and things. So she's, you know, she's got some skin in the game um, when it comes to, you know, what she's doing. So you're not, it's not like you're just getting, you know, whoever will volunteer time. Um, you know, this is qualified professional. Um, and, and, and she was great, you know, like, I mean, really um, respectful of, of uh, you know, what, whatever you wanted to do throughout a session and not really pushy or anything. Um, and then at times she will come to, I think she went up to Richmond at one point, um, you know, rented a hotel and had guys just come there and meet. Um, and then she'd done two here in, uh, the Raleigh area where, you know, and then Tom had them, had her lined up, like, you know, it's just one guy after another, you know, just like get in there, you know, go see her. Um, and, uh, you know, where you're at with your recovery. Um, it's a, it's a big deal. It, it's, it's life changing for, um, I mean, there's stories of Vietnam veterans who went in there, been de dealing with stuff their entire life really? and, and go and, and do this. And, and after they done the arc therapy, they're like, you know, I, I slept like a baby last night. Now that may be the CBD, but, um, <laughs> you know, Dan's been taking but, it and he's been sleeping better. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, no, but he, uh, you know, he, he definitely, um, uh, gives you a lot of different approaches to healing. And mm -hmm. I mean, and I think, uh, so his dad was in war too. Um, and, and I think, so that's, uh, I think that's where it comes from. You know, he's seen his dad struggle with things throughout life. And, um, you know, so I think that's really his driving, uh, force, you know, uh, that that's why, you know, you get this. And I mean, I think same with, with um with Bo and you know it, uh, we had a guy f for instance with um with Fairways you know um just talking with him he was a Navy boatman mm -hmm. and his brother was a a Navy SEAL and and he was killed and, um you know that's why he ended up joining so I'm sure you know like you know talking about Bo like he he didn't serve but um you know when you got a relative rather be a brother or whatever, you know, um, mm -hmm. I remember when my brothers were like following in my footsteps, I mean, it tore me apart, you know, like, um, you know, that's a piece of you. So those people around us, I think when we're serving, um, you know, they're serving too. I mean, it, yeah. It's, yeah. it can be sickening, you know, having a family member, um, you know, 
uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure you remember when you get out, you know, you got your guys that, that counted on you and then you get out and, you know, you worry about them every day. Um, so it's, uh, it's interesting to see how people respond to that. I think, yeah. um, <clears throat> I think mine was more cause Dan and I have talked about it more and it's kind of opened me up to, I think why I have always supported military and obviously heavily, um, part of it is because Dan obviously, um, but I think it's, it's a little bit of, um, like self guilt that I have of, you know, signing up for the Marines when I was 17 and a half and still being under the adult age of 18, you know, my parents agreed on it at first. And then a couple months went by after I had already taken the ASFAB and passed that was down at MEPS in San Diego. And, uh, my dad can't pick me up because I think they started thinking about it. And this was during the time when the war was just starting. Um, and I think they were getting, you know, some kind of acknowledgement of like Dan's tours. And, um, I think that they were just, you know, ultimately scared for, you know, me, their son being overseas and possibly not coming home as every parent is, uh, or family member. And so I definitely hated that, you know, my dad came down and picked me up, but I think all these years I've been trying to find other areas that I can almost make up for that and help men and women that have been in the service in any way that I can. And I just never really knew how to do it until now. Like obviously being connected to Dan and to you through guys like Tom, who has sent, you know, your contract over to us to put you inside of this book that we're creating and then connected us to all these other veterans. I think it's now it's kind of opened my eyes and, and I've figured out a way to actually give back and feel a little bit of relief from that ultimate self guilt that I've had. Absolutely. Well, thank I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm glad they came and picked you up because what you're doing here, it's, uh, it what both of you are doing is, is going to, it's, it's awesome. You know, yeah. and I, you know, told you about the guy, um, up in Ohio, you mm-hmm. know, or those guys, I mean, there's, there's people that, there's, there's people that fought one heck of a war yeah. even, you know, after they got out and, um, I mean, you know, pain day mm-hmm. in and day out. Um, and uh and, and no one will ever hear their story you know they didn't have brass mm-hmm. they didn't have you know they weren't high ranking um and you know they weren't a hero so you know no one's ever going to hear that stuff without you yeah um, um so uh, I, I i personally you know I, I thank you and i know a lot of other veterans are going to thank you when it all comes together yeah it's like like you just said you know the the war doesn't end when you come back the war doesn't end when you end your service. Like then you have a war within a war with, you know, what you're dealing with day in, day out. And it's, it's difficult for people to, to connect with it and understand it unless you're also a fellow veteran. And that's why, you know, fairways warriors, the NC warrior hockey team is such an incredible thing. Cause that's what it's doing is bringing veterans together. Mm-hmm. But that's, I think the underlying message and what we're trying to accomplish with this book is, Hopefully there, you know, obviously are going to be plenty of veterans who, who buy this book or read this book. Um, but I'm hoping more so that there's more civilians that open it, read it, look at the faces in it, listen to their stories and connect on a completely different level that they haven't been doing in the past. Cause really the only thing, the only way that people have been connecting with, 
you know, what's been going on overseas, you know, from each individual service member is whatever their friend or family member that they may be connected to that, you know, deployed overseas, uh, the big box office movies that, you know, honestly just like overly did the movie and like, obviously Mm -hmm. it's not accurate to what actually happened on the ground. The books, um, that, you know, are mostly consumed by again, fellow veterans or, or there's a few civilian contingent that'll listen to it, but that's only one person's story. And then obviously whatever the media wants to put out. So to have all these stories kind of in one central place that are shared kind of across the board, across the spectrum from the past 20 years, it hopefully connects with people in a completely different way than it has been in the past. And so hopefully more people are more open and more, I guess, um, more open to having the conversations, not only as civilians, like trying to understand it, but then also, uh, veterans are more open to sharing their story because I know that's something I struggled with internally is I, I never wanted to share my story with anybody. Mm-hmm. Like I, I haven't really until we started this. I yeah. Until the first we've been friends podcast. For, we've been friends for almost 30 years and, mm-hmm. um, I never shared half of the stuff that we've shared over the last couple of weeks, yeah. especially over the first podcast together. So, um, yeah, I'm really hoping that this hits home and, and, uh, obviously Kenny, I, I appreciate you sharing your story. I actually want to hear <clears throat> kind of more Kenny on your story of like what kind of got you involved with wanting to join the military and join the Marine Corps. Um, you know, and, and what, uh, what was like your MOS and what years were you uh, deployed? Yeah. So, um, it's interesting, similar story to yours. Um, I, I joined, uh, in, uh, I guess delayed entry, suppose it was around May of 2001. Okay. Um, you know, just, uh, you know, my grandpa had passed away while I was in high school, you know, uh, just loved, you know, loved him, big influence on my life and he had passed away. So I was kind of like, you know, what do I do now? And, uh, you know, uh, I grew up playing Rambo in the woods and, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> um, you know, it was, and I listened to my great grandpa's stories from, you know, World War II. He was, you know, a decorated, um, veteran from World War II. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so it was the only sensible thing to do. Um, so, you know, I, uh, I went and, and joined the late industry program, uh, the summer after my junior year. Um, so I'm sitting in my senior uh, we, we'd actually, I went to the guidance counselor, worked things out where I could graduate in December, um, and be in boot camp in January. Um, and, uh, I'm sitting in a uh, marketing class when, uh, you know, the, um, for, and so for September 11th and, uh, you know, I remember watching it on the TV as it unfolded and, you know, just kind of sitting there as a high school senior, like, man, I'm, I'm going to war. And, um, that was a rough time. I was in the hospital watching that when it happened that morning. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. You know, we, uh, I guess, like you said, it's, it was, it's just this weird thing where we got old and you talk to kids and they, you know, like you're thinking, you're looking at them like in their, I guess twenties or something, you know, and you're like, you know, thinking that they would remember September 11th and you're like, they're like, no, I don't, I mean, I was a kid then, you know, <laughs> like, I was yeah, just, yeah. you're like, like, wow, man, you know, <laughs> I, gotta, I thought everybody remembered. 
I got to imagine it's kind of like, uh, you know, probably what happened to a lot of people during World War II with Pearl Harbor. But mm -hmm. I think the biggest difference, like starkest difference is when it happened, you know, Pearl Harbor, people didn't even get news of it until a day or two later, especially in more rural places in the country, you know, continental yeah. U.S. Yeah. And all they saw was news clippings. And maybe if they ha did have a theater, then, you know, they saw a newsreel of it happening. But September 11th was an event that played out on national media on every single channel for everybody to watch. You, and so you basically watch the towers fall. Yeah. So like anybody yeah. who was, you know, old enough, you know, say five years and older remembers exactly where they were, remembers exactly what they were doing, remembers exactly who they were with because it's such a terrible tragedy that it's, it's something that you'll never forget. And this is something too, that I, I think plays perfectly into the veteran experience is like any civilian can understand that they understand like, Hey, I remember when that happened. I remember exactly what I was doing, where I was at, all these things. Mm -hmm. And those memories are flooded with you. Well, the same thing happens when you're in combat and say, you see one of your friends get shot or die or something like that. Like it's ingrained with you forever. You always remember exactly who you're with, what day it was, like what time of day. Yeah. And so if imagine. more people could kind of understand that, then it's it's more of like a opening up of like, holy shit, like these veterans have been through a lot. And it's not just one event. It's multiple events that they've been through. And so it's just much more of an understanding in that aspect. Um, yeah. Kenny, going back. So that's what got you inspired then to join the Marine Corps was obviously your grandfather and then September 11th happening. And then how fast did you deploy and what was like your MOS yeah, when you were in the Marines? So I was, um, yeah, I was, I mean, I was already enlisted at that point. Okay. Well, late entry. Um, for, you know, when September 11th, I'd been in, I guess, three or four months, whatever it was. But, um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I graduated, went, went in, um, you know, went to boot camp that following January. Uh, I, I was, I graduated boot camp before my friends graduated high school. Um, <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually walked in my graduation day. I think I had my, um, one of my uh, service uniforms on, um, uh, for graduation. And then, uh, I, I was, uh, I was infantry, um, it, it was the only, you know, I, I couldn't wrap my head around doing mm -hmm. anything other than infantry. You know, my recruiter was like, man, you, you know, you did pretty decent on the ASVAB. You could, you could do other stuff, you know, why the infantry, you know, like, yeah. why would I join the Marine Corps if I didn't go to the infantry, you know, <laughs> yeah. like it just didn't, um, I'm like, I want to fight, you know, I want to fight for my country. And, and that's, you know, that's the way I seen it. It was like, I had to be, if, if I'm going to do it, I had to be in the action, you know? And, um, it, it was, it was a no brainer, I guess, and what I wanted to do. Um, and then, uh, you know, graduated boot camp. you know, honestly, the beginning of, you know, we, we went to Afghanistan, it, you know, it was pretty chill really at the beginning. Um, you know, I remember getting to the fleet, uh, you know, once I got my first, uh, duty station, which was actually, um, I ended up as a boat coxswain. Um, for uh, you know, rigid Raider craft, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, sixteen and a half foot Boston whalers, and then we had, um, you know, some a couple of gunboats. I guess you know, for lack of better words. Uh, well, you said you were a co coxman. 
yeah so well you start off as a machine gunner which yep. i was an infantryman or i was a rifleman sorry i was a rifleman um but you start off as a machine gunner and then they have a coxswain school yeah i was so just gonna say mo that. most people don't know what a coxswain is and the first time oh. i heard that word i chuckled because i learned it in yeah uh, I, I learned it in ranger school <laughs> Wait, so what is it <laughs> It, so it, it's you know you're, you're basically the boat driver oh okay yeah so it, you, you and, steer you know, the cock when, when you <laughs> as you get to talking to the marines you'll see that like you know we do have that navy we use a lot of navy terminology like even more than we like to admit um <laughs> you know um so uh but um yeah, it, it was fun though, but I hated it. You know, mm -hmm. I, like I had fun, but I hated it because I wanted to be infantry. You know, like when I got my orders, they were like, I was like headquarters battalion. I was like, why am I going to headquarters battalion? You know, like we're, I'm expecting like one, two, 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 you know, some, you know, line uh, battalion. And, um, and <laughs> like I'm driving boats. This is not what I signed up for. Um, and, and they, you know, it was kind of, they kind of knew that I, I, I wanted to, um, be infantry you know so i ended up uh it's it's a crazy story um so our platoon sergeant um my first roommate he i mean he was great he was from florida um we went out and we were testing zodiac one time i remember uh, it was freezing cold the guy had nothing but shorts in his for his wardrobe like nothing but shorts i remember the first winter he was at at camp Lejeune. it wasn't even winter i don't think it was like fall and yeah, he's walking outside like freezing to death. You know, <laughs> like he's got every layer he can put on under his camis. You know, um, every, every time he we went out to formation, but he ended up getting thrown off a zodiac, went skidding across the water. The only person who fell off a zodiac the whole day, like we're doing like a break-in period. You know, he's got to go out there, run him so many hours, and um, <laughs> you know, the, the guys is sitting there, and I'm like, of all people, you know, <laughs> this is the one that can't be wet. You know, like he's gonna freeze to death, but uh. Anyway, so that me and that guy, uh, we our platoon sergeant came to us and he's like, you know, uh, Hagler, Howard, uh, do do rock paper scissors, and, and we're like, okay, you know, like he ends up winning, you know, and uh, he's like, all right, Howard, you know, you're going to uh, Unitas down in South America um, early next year, or whatever it was in April, and Hagler, you're um, you're going to Zodiac uh, School down in Cocoa Beach, Florida, and then you're going to deploy next year with three two. Mm. I'm, like, I'm, you know, I'm stoked. I'm like, yes, I get that's to what go I fucking wanted. Float. You know, I'm like, this is gonna be awesome. Go chill out down at Cocoa Beach. You know, go to this school, um, and I think this was probably like in November time frame or something around there. You know, um, we ended up uh, we were getting ready for Thanksgiving and all that, and um, we went and uh, done the Thanksgiving thing. I think we'd done Christmas, and I came back from Christmas, and uh, they called me over there, and they're like, hey, um you know how you were supposed to do that um that school next year that yeah that's not happening you need to go to your room and uh, pack your stuff you're going to three two yard deploying to go to iraq in uh, a couple of weeks or whatever Damn. it was you know so Damn. so uh, you know um you know this that's january of 2003 i go to my room pack my stuff and uh we get on the uss baton and we're heading over to kuwait um so i was actually sitting in kuwait um, waiting for the word if we were going to invade Iraq or not. Um, you know, we were <laughs> we were a piece together unit. There were there were guys from all over um, recon, indoc platoon, 
uh, they disbanded them for the time being, sent them all to line companies. Um, uh, it was some guys who got stop lost. Uh, you never want to be around a guy who got stop lost. So what is that? Real yeah. quick, Kenny? Oh yeah. So, so this is, you know, they, these were guys who were going to get out and they oh, extended okay. their contract. Gotcha. So um, when you join the military, you, you actually, you sign typically like a three, four, five, six year contract. But what you're also signing is an eight year agreement with the U S military. And I don't know if this has changed at all, but so you sign your initial enlistment where your full time, say a four year contract, but for those remaining four years to make up the eight at any point you can get recalled, mm. but you can also get stop loss where you had, you know, your end date, your terminal date when you were going to get out. And then the government basically sends you a letter saying, uh, you were going to get out last month or next month, but now you're in for another, you know, the deployment that you're about to be on next month. Jeez. Yeah. So we, we had those, that was basically our NCOs, um, you know, non-commissioned officers, those squad leaders, uh, most of the team leaders. Uh, so they were good and disgruntled. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were, we were on just to, just to kind of paint a picture of, I mean, it's hard to wrap your mind if that, that initial invasion, the way that they piece together units, how unprepared we were to fight a war as, as the military as a whole. I'm not talking just the Marine Corps. I'm talking military as a whole was unprepared. Mm-hmm. Um, we, our flak jackets and stuff were green, uh, you know, mm-hmm. like green, old school, green <laughs> camouflage. Um, uh, we were, we were doing NBC training because, you know, obviously the beginning of the war, that's, you know, one of the main things people were looking at is, you know, what chemical Ali had done. Um, you know, if Saddam had weapons to mass destruction, if he had chemical warfare, you know, all these different things, nobody really knew, um, what was there, but, you know, we, we still had that September 11th, mm-hmm. um, you know, as a country, I mean, that was one of the most amazing things after, if you could say any good came after September 11th, it would be the fact that I think for, I mean, there were a few people who, um, necessarily want to, won't necessarily on board with war, but we were, you know, I think we were together as a country for the most part. We were very um, strong when, when that happened. Yeah. We weren't so divided like we are now. No, it, it was, and it was, it was pretty cool to see. But, uh, so we were, we were training on ship. We were laying out like, you know, rooms, um, with engineers tape, like, you know, like we're doing mount training, uh, with engineers tape, like, you know, clearing rooms, like it's a make believe house. Um, we actually went and watched, um, Black Hawk down on ship and, and we're like picking out things that they done wrong and oh, like shit. the way we should, you know, this is, this is what we had to do because I mean, they just pieced together this unit. So we had to train mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, get some unit cohesion, um, get some training. Cause a lot of us were new guys. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, I've been in for about a year at the time, but you know, I was doing the boat stuff. I just went to school of infantry. Um, and so, uh, and, you know, like I said, we just hadn't worked together and, and that's an important part of what we do is, is that, you know, um, you know, feeling that unity with, you know, cause, cause you gotta be willing to, to die for the guy beside you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, it takes time to build that relationship, but, uh, um, to, to where it needs to be. I think, I think for the most part, we'll, um, a good Marine or a good soldier, good sailor, or whatever, always stick his neck out for you know, the, the guy beside him. I mean, that's, we signed that contract, right? I mean, yeah. captain goes down uh, with the we, ship. So 
it's it's so were you um were you in uh like baghdad and fallujah and all that then no so uh yes i, I probably ought to i'm sorry i get worried here but um so actually we ended up we were sitting in kuwait you know bush made the announcement that we're invading iraq uh, that night uh the you know sorties were flying over the jets were flying over going i mean uh you you know the, the missiles were getting shot at us you know that whole thing i mean it's it's well documented you can you know google that now and and pull up uh the video footage of of the night that we invaded iraq and then the next day yeah. we got on our seven tons we seven tons we we were <laughs> riding in the back of seven tons and in, in, invading the country um there's this it's open there's no armor mm. um it was just a pilot and if you ever seen the way the marine the Marine Corps can stuff guys into something. Um, it's, it's, it's like a work of art. Like we were, I remember riding in the back of this thing. I mean, one of the most miserable experiences I've ever had in my life. I mean, you, you would, when you would get in there, you're like immediately uncomfortable, right? Like you, your foot's like up next to a guy, like it's up under you or something, you know, you're, you got your gear, your, you know, your rifle, day pack, whatever. Um, and, so after about 30 minutes of riding your foot, we go to sleep or your leg, we go to sleep, you know, another hour of riding. Like, it's just like, it's got, you know, somebody already shot you. It feels like, you know, and, um, you know, just hours of this and then, you know, dust mm-hmm. everywhere. Um, uh, but, um, so we ended up, uh, the, the Marine Corps mission in the, in the initial invasion was basically to support third ID. Third ID was taking their tanks and all that. And they were, basically hightailing it to Baghdad. Um, the Marine Corps was supposed to branch off and hold, you know, bridges on the main supply route, different things like that. So, um, uh, probably one of the hardest experiences in that is we were, um, we were stopped off in a town. Someone had, you know, took a pop shot at the convoy or whatever. So we stopped off to clear this little village and, um, uh, you know, we found a couple of rifles or whatever, you know, nothing major, but, uh, we stopped again and we found out that our sister battalion had, uh, been hit pretty hard in, um, in, uh, uh, and Nazaria. So, uh, uh, I'm sure it's well documented. Jess Clinch, uh, at the beginning of the war, the, um, the, you know, she was captured and, mm-hmm. um, she was eventually released, but, um, it was a lot of, you know, it, it was a big loss. Val and Nazaria was, was rough. It was a lot of friendly fire. But as we're sitting there and I'm like, I just remember just being torn apart. Like, why weren't we there? You know, like, just like, <laughs> like we were, you know, miles behind them. You know, why couldn't we have been there? Um, and, you know, it ended up being a, a huge loss. Marines and they, they, you know, drug their bodies down the street, hung them off the bridge and displayed them. Jesus. Um, yep. I remember all and that. We were, we, we were sitting, uh, I remember sitting outside of the town. They we had set up a bivouac site, you know, place to rest or whatever before we went in. And I'm just like, all of us are like, let's go now, you know, like the storm city or whatever. But they come out and they told us, and, you know, in a matter of words, like this town is the wild west. Like they've been warned. Um, there was, you know, basically uh, the city had gotten so violent that they warned people that if you're if you're outside your home, you're considered enemy because we had to do something to, to distinguish who was um, who was enemy, who wasn't enemy. 
and uh you know we kept getting reports of you know different things that were going on in the city um you know all that on its own is well documented and um but you know i remember sitting there and i i think most any of us can remember that day where dying becomes a reality right yeah like you know you you sign up and you're like maybe i could die you know uh, maybe i die overseas but that day i was like this is real mm-hmm. like this is you know um so i you know i remember sitting there writing writing my death letter giving it to a buddy and all and um and you know we uh we ended up you know we we didn't lose anyone um from our unit um we went in uh, blackhawks flew in one night they rescued jessica lynch and we moved up to another city um and things calmed down it was it was it was weird because you know we went and it really felt like we'd done something good you know like um i remember the next town we went to there we we were able to patrol with with the, just our lbvs on like i mean mm-hmm. we didn't have flag jackets mm-hmm. you know we walked through the city the battalion commander would go sit down and eat drink chai tea with the, the elders of the town and we had a soccer game with the locals. Um, uh, there was a little family that was close to the, the school we were staying in. You know, we'd go out there, give them candy, you know, play soccer with them, you know, just talk to the, the dads or whatever, you know, and um, they were happy. They were like, it felt like we had really done something good. Um, and, uh, you know, anyway, we, we went home and, and of course that changed, you know, that I remember, you know, I remember uh, we, we did a couple more tours to, uh, or we went to Africa um, and did some uh, security stuff there. And uh, I just remember we were getting ready for our next deployment. And, uh, you know, they kind of told us the city that we were uh, going to was, um, it was bad. It was on the Syrian border and um, the unit that we were leaving uh, ended up losing so many guys. They had to get combat replacements. Jeez. Um, and uh and and i remember you know the the video was released of the contractor getting his head cut off you know mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that's like another one of those moments where it's like man this ain't what i thought it was mm-hmm. you know we didn't instantly we felt like no we didn't liberate anybody we may have made it worse and you know it was that was the beginning of that and you know of course fallujah was kicking off um about that time uh but uh the west coast guys i think were were uh were in fallujah at the time yep you know you keep keep saying this too like things are are well documented but i i remember all these things because i was briefed on them and you know obviously i watched the news and at that point when all this was going on you know from 2003 and on things were kind of rolling in the back of my mind of am i going to join or not and so i was starting to pay attention a lot more to the news um because i didn't join until 2000 until 2006 um but like do you remember all those things like do you remember i vaguely do like when kenny's describing them and i'm kind of shocked to hear them it's kind of also ringing a memory of when the news was broadcasting this every damn day yeah i do remember hearing about the contractor that was beheaded and it was on live television yeah or they filmed it and i think they took it down right away after they did air it and then i do remember uh hearing about jessica lynch yeah and everything around that era from 2001 and 2003 mm-hmm. um 
and I feel like those were kind of like the the rough start. Like what Kenny's saying is the men and women were very unprepared. They were using like outdated gear and didn't know really like the combat situations of how these people, you know, the Taliban and all that are going to fight. So it was almost like everybody was becoming adapted to this new area and this new style of fighting to where it was like, I think that was like a spike of casualties in those early years. And like you said, it mellowed out for a little while and then it picked back up in like seven and eight. Yeah, it definitely did. But, uh, you know, like I think the the key thing to point out, you know, is it's very well documented and some people remember it because it's it's ingrained again in their memory and they'll never forget. But uh, I guarantee if I went and talked to somebody who, uh, you know, somebody in my family who's older, who I know was watching the news and remembers probably seen in the news but they don't remember like they truly don't connect with it and remember it in in the way that you do or the way that i do Mm -hmm. um to the point where you know when you were talking about for instance the marines being dragged through the through the town and strung up like on the bridges and stuff like those images are all in my brain i remember everything about that the hard part about that is me thinking as and I imagine this is the thought that possibly even went through Kenny's head um, through every other soldier is I would almost just be like, fuck all of these people. I want to kill every single one of them. As brutal as that sounds, like passing through something like that yeah. and seeing your yeah. men strung up. Obviously, you don't you can't do that because there's a lot of good people that that want to rid that violence from their nation and they don't want to be seen that way as a community and as a culture. It's it's interesting. It's interesting you say that because, I mean, I think that was the mentality, you know, like it became that mentality, right? It's young like, soldiers that are seeing oh, that level of violence that are just like, I'm going to go and unload on everybody and not care. Yeah. And I think that's, and, you know, that's the thing is, so <laughs> the Marine Corps has this interesting way of, of making you like the maddest person in the world, right? Like you, you're just like, as soon as someone tells you to go, like... <laughs> Yes, you know, finally get to release all that because I mean, we. I'll, I'll tell you the living conditions and that like so it it had rain. We had a sandstorm mm-hmm. the night before, so if if you like, I guess to what Dan was getting at, you know, I say well documented, but so there was a massive stand, sandstorm the night before Jessica Lynch was, mm-hmm. was taken. So it, essentially, you know, and that and that's a lot of what happened is those sand that sandstorm caused some of the weapon we, weapon systems to malfunction and and things so i remember going and we we were told to i think we we brought three skibby shirts three, you know three undershirts and i think we were allowed so many pairs of socks i remember them going around and taking up our batteries they had walkman and stuff like that but we were rationed like the stuff that we had so they went around and said if you got batteries and for anything you need to give them up so we went to our pack, got our batteries out, you know, so there's, I mean, you think about this, like, I know this is, some people cannot wrap their head around this because even now you go over there, you know, you have an iPod, whatever, you know, you can charge it. Mm-hmm. You, you, have cell no phones now. you can have cell phones now over there, yeah. which is insane to me. Let me just say that. Yeah. You had, you had cell phones, you know, and, um, they took up any non-essential stuff, took it from us. But I remember having to go to my pack, get a, get one of my skivvy shirts, you know, wrap my rifle uh, you know, keep, keep the, keep the sand out of the mud. Like, so we, we done everything we could during that sandstorm to protect our rifles. Yep. Um, as far as us, you know, like, Those guys like stay whatever, alive. You know? and, and keep in mind, we were wearing NBC suits, to, I guess for, 
mop suits as we would all know it but so we're these are you know thick like gore-tex type material mm -hmm. like they have um, a thick layer of of yeah. uh of rubber in them because you don't want any <laughs> sort of particulates to penetrate through them interesting so think about have like you ever wore like gone in a run gone on a run with like a trash bag i have sweater or something I, like that or a shirt on? About. Yeah, yeah all right imagine that times like 10 in the middle of the summer <laughs> that's like wearing a wetsuit yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's basically yeah i think um you know and it's, it's got the activated charcoal and all you know in it that but so we wore these things and I, i'm not even sure if if they were like <laughs> they, they look like they pulled them out of like some storage locker from vietnam you know <laughs> like, they're oh, like shit. they were they were green you know like uh so they, they were like if it were if, if the sun was out they just sucked up the heat you know but um you know we're wearing these i think we wore these things for i want to say first couple months uh if i'm not mistaken it it, it felt like a couple months but uh they cut us down to one mre a day at one point we were digging fighting holes on the side of the road in the middle of a town now, i don't <laughs> like it's not asphalt but you know once so many cars drive over it you know and you go to try to dig in it it's it's like asphalt um it, it was just oh man it was it was crazy but uh, but like you said it, it um yeah your, your mentality when we went to nazaria the mentality was definitely i, I think i don't uh, don't say anything you know incriminating um or you know not, not incriminating but yeah but, i yeah. know what you're saying yeah. there's yeah, definitely yeah, like the mentality. a mentality of like and i know people have said it and so i have no problem saying it but you know just understand the mindset of this of like your friends are dying left and right the brothers and sisters are dying left and right is like you definitely get to a breaking point where it's like i'm, I'm if, over this shit if this person is not somebody who's killing my friends he knows or she knows the person who's killing my friends yeah and they're just as guilty. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely not the case. But when you're in that moment, that situation, you know, you, you don't care. Like it's if, you know, if if somebody here stateside like murdered somebody in your family and the family members of the person, you know, murdered your family was not giving up any information, you would obviously want to take out vengeance on yeah, for everybody. Sure. So it's the same mindset and it, it's it's definitely one of those difficult things to balance and to, to bring yourself back into like, there are good people there. There's plenty of them, but they're equally terrified that if they give up information or whatever, they could be killed. Mm -hmm. So, oh yeah, absolutely. but when you're in that moment, again, when you see all your friends or your acquaintances, your brothers and sisters dying, like you just see red, you don't care about everything else. Yeah, you're not filtering anything at that moment. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, it, so it, it was, um, it was definitely, definitely, a, 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 it was, it was different. It was different. That that initial invasion, I don't think was ever, um, you know, that that first six months of the war, mm -hmm. um, was never experienced again. You know, because we, yeah. I think we were there for, for like four months, right at four months, I think. Um, you know, we once, you know, like I have a, I, I wish I had it with me. I have a patch that says mission accomplished, you know, Iraqi freedom. Like, <laughs> like Bush had went on and, and said, we won. Right. Yeah, like, so that. we were in, we were, we were in the hearts and mind phase. Um, we were, you know, doing, uh, you know, relation, we were building relationships with the Iraqis, 
you know, we thought the war was done, you know, and, and we went home and we were like, um, you know, it's, so it's, I think, uh, you know, we, we were kind of checked out from that, you know, and we thought if we go back, it'll be similar, you know, maybe we'll hang out on a base or something, do security, um, you know, make sure that they can establish a government or something like that. Um, and matter of fact, East Coast Marines, um, if it would have played out the way that a lot of people don't at this point, the way that we've had to fight this war is they don't understand that Marines are not an occupying force. We are not designed to be a place for very long, you know, be in a place for very long. Mm-hmm. We go, we do our job and we leave. Um, the army is the occupying, you know, like it's in, in their name, this we will defend, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. so it, they're the occupying force and we were supposed to hand it over to the army and, and you know, everything would play out from there. Uh, the, the months or the, the months or the next year or two that followed was com- completely, no one knew how to handle that because that's not how we were, that's not how the American, you know, armed, armed forces were set up. Mm-hmm. And so it, 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 it changed everything. Um, and, you know, to the point where, uh, you know, you, when, when Fallujah kicked off, I mean, you didn't have near enough Marines to fight that battle. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, uh, no one could have planned for that. Um, and then, uh, you know, we, we were tasked, uh, so pretty much, um, the Marine Corps had, uh, the Allen Bar Providence, um, that's pretty much our area operation for the longest time. Uh, you know, we were focused in that area, um, Fallujah, up, you know, up near the Syrian border and all that. And, um, and so it, it was, it was so, it was, it was so bizarre to watch the news and the way that that country developed after we left, uh, the way the war changed. And by the time we went back, it was unrecognizable, which we were unrecognizable because we had new gear and we had new rifles, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so I was issued the old school woodland camouflage. I was like one of the last boot camp classes so um you know then we got the, the uh i think the digis right before i got out you know you could still wear black boots you know mm-hmm. i think um up until my last year um so you know we talked about bush at the, at the beginning of our talks like i don't think anyone will ever really understand truly like unless you were in and seen the difference that i mean when he yeah, he sent us to war and, and maybe there were some mistakes made, but he was undoubtedly committed to us. Like he mm-hmm. made sure that we got our raises. He made sure that we got our the equipment we needed. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, I mean, I think, and you know, it's interesting the work that he done because I mean, I honestly, I couldn't imagine being him. I, I really couldn't, I couldn't imagine the, the responsibility that he he lives with day in and day out. I don't think he takes it lightly, and I think that's as we talked about, well documented. Mm-hmm. Um, but he tried to make it right, and and I was there. I seen I seen the the um, the improvements that were made. Um, by the time I went back the second time, um, you know it, it was it was horrible. Like you couldn't we the town we went to we um, he's a colonel now Colonel Diorio. Uh, one of the best men I've ever met in my life. Um, uh, as far as officers go, I think he's unmatched. He he's humble. He um, I had the pleasure of playing golf with him a few years back, and mm. um, it, it was so bizarre because I you know had my wedge sitting next to the green, and 
and he reaches down and grabs it and hands it to me. I'm like, you know, <laughs> like, you know, this trip. is my company commander. I'm like, I'm supposed to be like opening your doors and stuff, man. You know, like this isn't right. Um, but he just broke down and told me, like, I, I was like, I had to, I had to tell him, I said, you know, the, the unit we relieved lost, um, 20 guys. And because of the decisions that he made as a company commander, not to do anything for pride, he only, we only left the gate unless it was something he said, we don't, basically he told us he's like we don't have to leave the gate they'll come to us um and he was right i mean they launched one of the most complex attacks against our little base it was just a company of marines there um you know a couple of vbids large vbids they're supposed one was supposed to blow the gate and, and the other one was supposed to come on the base um and kill as many marines as possible and then Jeez. a couple of smaller ones supposed to hit the outpost and then they had small small arms coordinated right after that uh, one of the Marines were vigilant on post and um, he lit up the VBID um, as, as it was coming down the road, he passed a, um, the, the spot where basically he, he, like if something goes past this line, you start shooting, no questions asked. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he, he engaged the vehicle, the vehicle blew, blew early, um, causing the other vehicle to blow early. Uh, no one was even injured you know, nothing major, yeah. a couple of concussions. Um, the other Marines responded, got, got to the post, reinforced the post. Uh, I think after it was all said and done, they, it was a, about a platoon size, um, force that was against us. Plus the VBIDs, um, didn't lose a single person. Man. So phenomenal. And it's nothing short of a miracle. And, uh, we went that whole deployment after relieving a unit who had to get, combat replacements we went that whole deployment and was successful by the time we left we had the locals calling us telling us where zarkawi's guys were um and the unit before us was fighting local gangs um and um you know we 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 left there without losing anyone Hmm. um that's amazing uh to to think that and so later on, I asked him, you know, I just, we were on the, you know, on the putting green and, and just, I asked him, I said, you know, you know, I really appreciate what you've done there. And it's like, it's amazing that you got us all home. And he said, you know, and the, this may offend someone um, or another an officer, but he, he told me, he said, you know, most of the time when there's a bunch of Marines getting hurt for no good reason, it's because there's some officer making bad decisions to, to, to prove themselves. Yep. And he said, I, I was not going to do that with you. I wasn't going to do that with my guys. He right. said, my mission was to get y'all home and get the mission accomplished. Um, and just amazing that he was able to do it. I, I, I don't, unfortunately, um, you know, there's obviously places that were people deployed where they didn't have that luxury to make those decisions because it just, you know, uh, it's the way, the way things go. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's very unfortunate and sad that so many men have lost their lives in this, this war because it's not the, not the way we intended it. Well, it's a a testament to like incredible leadership, especially when you're put up like in a, in a hot zone, what we call a hot zone where there's an incredible amount of insurgency, an incredible amount of, you know, people who are looking to do you harm and not a single person is killed. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's somebody just 
not making calls because they want to have the most number of raids or buildings cleared or decorations on them at the end of the deployment. They, they want to see everybody get home and that's their number one mission. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, I guess I left this out and, you know, it's not to, not to say that we didn't get contact either. We were engaged almost daily, Mm -hmm. you know, between mortars, small arms fire, um, you know, we were right on the Syrian border. So that was basically where all the foreign fighters were coming through. Um, just like I said, it's, it's nothing short of amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm extremely fortunate. Um, I, um, you know, I got out when I did and, um, the next deployment that a unit took wasn't, it weren't, uh, it didn't go that way. Um, Mm. you know, guys that, uh, I was their squad leader. Um, they ended up being squad leaders, team leaders. And one of the biggest things, I mean, it, it kept me up every night. You know, uh, I, I remember that go days without sleeping. And I was terrified that I'd lose one of my guys, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it broke my heart. I got out and, and they, um, they ended up in position of leadership and, some of them lost guys. And I mean, I just cried like a baby for them, you know, like just, you just don't want that because you know what that feels like, you know, you know what that he's sitting there, he's flaming himself and, and, you know, um, it sucks. It sucks. You definitely go through like a, even if you're physically not there, you know, you're still tied to the unit and you go through a grieving period where it's like, you start having the thoughts of, well, if I was there, maybe I could have done something. If I was, you know, prepared them better, maybe they would have been better off. Or if I would have mm-hmm. done this, done that, then maybe this wouldn't have happened. But, you know, I've, I've had all those kinds of thoughts as well. Guys that have passed after, you know, I, I got out. Um, but it's one of those things that I, I think is, is, again, one of those things that you overcome. Some people can overcome it. Others can't. And it's always something that's in the back of their mind. Um and it's just something that the everyday person, again, can't really understand or grasp, except for maybe people in in law enforcement that are in, you know, a heavily like, I don't know, gang, gang ridden city or something like yeah. that. Like there's really no other profession that something like that weighs so heavily on you. Um, and so I hope more people kind of understand that and can you know, just, just understand that, you know, in an every, everyday job, you know, people's lives aren't really on the line. Um, but when you're training so hard to make sure that everybody's life is kept because you know, it is on the line that ultimately when somebody does pass, it's like, it's a gut check. It doesn't matter if you were, if you were there or if it was somebody who was, you know, uh, you know, connected to you through uh, another buddy in the military or, you know, right after you left service or, or whatever the case may be, like it's a gut check every time. Mm-hmm. Like every time I see somebody from Ranger Regiment pass, like it's a gut check. And I remember every single other person that I served with that passed, you know, I instantly remember them and like have flashbacks and think about those moments. And it's something you don't like, you can't get rid of. You just figure out a different way of processing it. Yeah, it, it's it, and it's amazing, 
you know, looking back on it, I mean, you know, the, the difference in sitting here and or not sitting here or seeing your kids be born is really a matter of centimeters. Yep. And, you know, we all have like when we get out, we have like this mentality, like, well, if I was there or, you know, one of your guys gets hurt, you know, you're like, well, if I was there, it would have been different. And and really, we don't know that, you no. know, yeah. like, I mean, you know, I've seen these these, you know, we've, I've been over there. I've seen them hold their AK AKs over the wall, not even looking and just just pulling the trigger. And and it's really it's a matter of centimeters why any of us are even sitting here or not sitting here. And, it, and yep. it's sad. Um, but I guess, you know, we, we got to live, um, we got to live for them. Um, and I, after I got out, I, I guess, to, I guess wrap it up. Right. Um, uh, you know, after I got out 2006, um, I was a mess. Uh, definitely went back home, small town in North Carolina and, um, wasn't much there, no jobs, uh, PTSD still was, we didn't talk about it, you know, like, mm-hmm. it, you know, you, whatever it was there. Um, the VA wasn't much, even the GI bill at the time was still the old GI bill. So getting out, going to school, trying to get a life put together was, was pretty difficult. And, uh, you know, I just started drinking, drinking and drinking and drinking. Um, finally started getting my life put back together and, uh, lost a son in, in 2008. And, uh, so, you know, before I really processed the Marine Corps or, or, you know, when I went through there, um, it was completely overshadowed by that. I mean, it wasn't even what I dealt with in war wasn't even on my radar anymore. Um, I couldn't imagine. Yeah. Like I really couldn't. It was, a, um, and you know, it's, it just, uh, it was a, life was just an alcoholic haze after that you know i've i've obviously wrestled with suicidal thoughts um you know i I thought drinking was my way to uh kind of backdoor suicide i didn't have to do anything um you know it wasn't you know there was no individual act that would have done it i just thought maybe you know i could just drink until i just drifted off and uh and you know I, I, I credit nothing but God. I mean, pull me out of it. Um, and, uh, you know, slowly but surely I put together s- some of the pieces. Um, and, uh, this year, this year has really been the year I've had to go back and process the Marine Corps, you know, process what I went through. And I found Tom found North Carolina warriors. Um, and I've had so many like, just amazing opportunities to help other veterans. Like just, Mm -hmm. um, just sitting there talking and, um, you know, Oh man, this, I know where you're at guy, you know, like, and, and being able to be there for him. So, um, which even before my son passed, I wasn't in that, I wasn't in in that shape for that. I mean, I wanted to go back. I remember, you know, like I would go to Walmart or something and I'd be like, man, I'd rather be in Iraq didn't be here, you know, or <laughs> work some dead end job. I'm like, I would rather be in Iraq. And, you know, it's something about it. Like, you know, like that people just can't understand. I mean, there's is it, is it some... addicting, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're, you're, the, it's freedom, you know, yeah, like mm-hmm. it's like it, when you get up and you, all you have to worry about is staying alive. 
like you know like it's it sucks and it's heavy but once you once you adapted to it it's it's almost like you're free to us some sick twisted way Mm -hmm. like i I think i I was talking about this in in a previous episode maybe but maybe not maybe we're just talking about it in passing but like deployments are like you trained your whole you know career your military career whether you only went to basic training or you got through basic training your advanced trainings and uh got through a few training cycles or whatever and then you eventually deploy like that's what you're there to do is that job everything else goes away like all your other worries like yes they may be hanging in the back of your mind and this is where like families obviously play a huge part of this especially spouses but um like everything else stateside just kind of freezes you have no other worries like you're there and you're in your flow state of just focusing on the mission and that's it and so that's i think where the addiction is is like everything else fades away everything seems less important Mm -hmm. and so so your purpose is very clear your mission is very clear and that's all you're focused on it's interesting because i can imagine that mindset and you got family or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a husband or a wife back home and kids where their constant thought is you and you're obviously still thinking about them when it's downtime like when i imagine when you're at like the fob and you're on your laptop or you got time to check in with them or write them a letter but i imagine most of the time there your mindset is somewhere totally opposite yeah your your mindset is there like it's in that moment that's interesting kenny yeah definitely go ahead oh sorry i was just gonna say uh um you kind of lightly touched on you know what was going on in your life uh post-war when you got out your second time i want to kind of ask you what was it kind of like you know your experience readjusting to civilian life um from what it sounds like so far it wasn't easy but i kind of want to get more in depth on you know did you kind of find a job right away was it very difficult was it just you were just very unmotivated yeah it was i mean it was i mean for lack of better words it was hail you know like Mm -hmm. it it was um (laughs) yeah i mean I'm not going to say I went through periods of homelessness, but like, you know, I had to go back home and like live with my parents again, you know, and like, um, just because I think I got back from deployment in like September of 2005 mm-hmm. and then, um, I EAS'd in, in January, um, you know, Captain Diorio at the time, which is like Colonel Diorio, uh, you know, he, he, he pleaded with me. He was like, I think you need to extend. You know, he's like, I don't think you're ready to get out. And I was like, no, I got it. You know, I'm, I'm, I want to get out. I'm ready. I'm just, I was, I was done. You know, I was like, and, and you know, it seemed like the, no more than a week. I'm like, man, I should have just stayed in. But, um, I mean, I hated it. I hated, uh, you know, like the way people acted, you know, I hated, uh, I mean, I, going, going anywhere. Like, and I was, um, even when I got a good job, like I was, or a decent job, you know, I was still so high strung, you know, like, um, just, you know, I'm on level 10, you know, and it's like, um, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. like I always had fun, you know, and I laughed, but, but like, you know, you could hit that, hit that switch and you're just like, I, I remember the first like management type job I got, um, like I, I would be like, like, you, you know, we can go to the tree line. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you just can't, you know, like they're calling human resources and like, 
you can't tell people, you know, that don't want to do, you know, like that don't show up to work on time or, you know, don't do what you ask them to do in the right way. Like you can't go fight them, you know, get your fucking <laughs> you know, like, ass to work now. Like, Man, <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, like, this, this is exactly it. This is the, the stuff I'm talking about where it's like, yeah. we have to do this where we communicate with companies and human resources and stuff and be like, you're you're not the first person I heard this. A guy I served uh-huh. with uh, got terminated from his job because of a human resources complaint. But it w- it was a joke in the military where if it was said in the military, people would have laughed out loud and it would have like been a quick thing <laughs> yeah. in passing. Like it wasn't even that bad. And he got fired from his job because somebody filed a human resources like complaint against him. I think there just needs to be, and maybe Kenny can touch on more from a personal experience. But as Dan and I have been obviously navigating this company towards you know wanting to bridge the gap between civilian and veteran communities and part of that is obviously me being a civilian i need to understand it first so that i can help teacher teach it on my end so it's kind of like you know we want to go and talk to hr companies and these in the you know big corporations that are hiring veterans or maybe aren't giving them a chance at all and figure out a way that they can understand that you're going to be still hot-headed you're still going to be on a level 10 for maybe a certain amount of time for six months a year maybe a couple years um and trying to figure out that balance of under having an understanding and patience with you know these men and women that are coming back from such a a heavy you know um enlistment or being overseas but i guess kenny getting to the point what would be your recommendation where it would be you know easier for civilians to understand veterans coming home or for civilians to try and tap more into understanding veterans in that regard i you know i don't know i mean i think i had a good one of my best friends from the marine court who he ended up being one of the more successful people um that i know uh he was able to you know he went to went to school um the financial stuff he's pretty successful now um and you know i remember talking to him when he first got out and he wouldn't even put that he was in the military on his resume like he just wouldn't like, he's like, mm. it, most of the time it just holds you back or they have some yep. unreasonable expectation. That's sad. And I think, I think, I think it's, it's interesting because when you're in, you, you see this more, right? Like you can see there's different types of guys. And like, we had guys that we call it like September 11th Marines who were like on fire. They went and joined and then they got in there. Like maybe this isn't for me, you know, you had your, your guys who were trying to get out of going to jail. Um, you know, yep. <laughs> like you, you had those and they were usually awesome Marines, you know, like they, they were like, Hey, I love it here. You know, um, I can, I got a place to put all this anger or whatever they got, had going on, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, you probably, you know, had like your Patriots who just wanted to serve the country and, you know, um, so I think that that's one of the things is like, it, people tend to put us in a box, right? Like, you know, they think we're all built the same way. Like they think, I think employers hire us and they think we're the guy that shows up 15 minutes early, you know, like with the tucked in shirt and, you know, clean shave and all this stuff. And it's like, we've done that stuff because we had to, like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like we're, we're still like, we're still unique people that do different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's, there's that stigma. They think they're getting like this. Um, and I mean, Dan would probably tell you this. I mean, like those, I, I don't know, maybe I'm not insulting any guy who was like that, like that by the books guy, you know, um, you know, um, 
who's who's who does show up 15 you know 15 minutes prior to everything and and like you know recite the ucmj to you or something you know um like you know those guys are needed um but most of us are it's funny, especially entry infantry guys i mean we're we're like yeah, we're we're off the charts, you know. <laughs> like, well, you're um, human being at the end of like, the day. We're a little different, but um, so I th- I think that's the thing is like we're still um we're not in a box, you know. We there's no cookie cutter way to approach this. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's the answer, and maybe that's not an answer. Um, so, but being open, um, you know, I, I think I think challenging us, um, at at a at a, at a place of employment is important. Uh, we nobody none of us want to go somewhere and be treated like we're handicapped um we yeah. want responsibility uh you know when um and you know a lot of times like when we're getting in, in trouble with human resources really what we're doing and, and for me at least when when i was getting in trouble with human resources i was trying to establish a relationship and and that's not even wanted in the corporate world like mm-hmm. you, you know like when you get your group of guys that you're in charge of or whatever you know whatever your area of responsibility is whether it be people or you know a stack of paperwork you know you own that like this is mine i'm going to protect this with my life you know and and so I, you know i remember i finally built like a kind of a tight-knit group of people and like you know like I, somebody would like write them up like you know my boss would write them up I'm like hey man why don't you tell me about this you know i would have took care of this you know, so like you get like this ownership and I think it's like a, um, that's a, that's really an awesome thing in the corporate world, yeah. right? Ownership and, and stuff like that. But for some reason it does not translate well for us. Like it does not move into the corporate world. Like they kind of want you to care, but not care. Okay. And mm-hmm. I think that that's where we all get hung up. We're like in this place of limbo. Um, for you know, I mean, to the point where you're just like, you know, screw it. I don't, I don't, I don't really care how this plays out. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and it, and it's, it, it's not, it's not because that's the way you want to be. It's a survival, like a survival mechanism. Um, because if you care too much, then you're high strong and nobody wants to be around you. If you, you know, so really the only thing you can do is kind of like have this, like, you know, screw it mentality. And I don't, I don't know what the remedy for that is, man. That, that's, yeah. that's a business in itself. If you can figure that out. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's totally. such a it, it's such a weird mentality because I actually went through this too because I'm developing a, a leadership development program for a company I work at now and uh, like I I remember explaining this and asking a question like at what level is somebody term like when can we terminate terminate them like when can we fire somebody basically I was trying to like put this in the leadership development course because I was trying to really filter out where their level of all right this person needs to be gone versus nah, something we can discuss internally versus you know nah, this is something we just sweep under the rug or whatever and they didn't even know like it was crazy like yeah. I, I thought there would be a very clear very crystal clear thing but i think what happens is when there's a complaint then people don't know how to handle it and so either there's not a complaint because somebody hears something or whatever and they're like, ah, I just don't want to, you know, do whatever. They feel awkward about it. Or there is a complaint and then HR and management feels like they have to respond. And so their way of responding is just terminating somebody. Mm. Like they don't have the thresholds of, you know, oh, what they were saying was a joke. Let's do some internal training so that they know that they don't, they shouldn't do that or say that, um, you know, what's the threshold of, okay, they need to be reprimanded and, 
you know, put in a different position or in a different team or whatever. And then what's the threshold of no, that was too much. They're gone. Yeah. And they didn't have any of that defined. Jeez. (laughs) And I I think that was, so when I went through this organizational behavior class and, you know, I'm sure y'all probably taking one, but, but it was interesting to see how much different organizational or, you know, civilian leadership is taught versus military leadership. Right. I Mm -hmm. mean, so in the field, you know, like you've got all your higher ups, everything. So the lowest ranks eat first. Right. Um, and, and, you know, that that's a statement, you know, that, that when you walk through you, through the chow line and, you know, a lieutenant colonel might be serving you chow, you know, like or, or something along those lines. Like that's a statement. It, it, it's, it's a small gesture and most of us laugh it off while we're in. But mm-hmm. when you get out in the corporate world, that's an amazing thing, you know, like whereas like. When you get into the corporate world, like your boss, he, he you don't see him at lunch because he's been gone for two hours already. You mm-hmm. know, like you know he's playing golf. Yeah. Um. You know, and uh, and I think so. We, and then then but then when you when you find your leadership roles, like like I was saying, you have ownership of these guys. You get tight knit with these guys. Um, you know, and I remember talking with a guy who was um. The, the, the professor of the class and he was like no your leader your loyalty is to you know the highest level meeting you go to and i could not wrap my head around that i was like okay i get what you're saying they tell me what to do but my loyalty is something different you know mm-hmm. like my loyalty is who who am i going to die with right mm-hmm. yeah like um and i think so that that was that was really interesting and i think that that's something particularly infantry guys. Um, I think, uh, your S shops and stuff like that, or, you know, they, they probably respond better to that than infantry, but, um, uh, just, do you uh, think, sorry, go ahead. do you think with that, like level two, do you, because I, I went through this, I don't know if you had to go through some sort of like uh, post-service training. So transitional training or whatever, like, um, basically sit into a few seminars or whatever people telling you how you're supposed to act in the civilian world. Like I, I went through that and I remember taking it with a grain of salt and honestly like passing it off as, you know, this is just a bunch of BS more or less. Um, do you think it's more beneficial? I don't know if you sat through this training, so maybe this doesn't apply to you, but do you think it's more beneficial to sit through that kind of training or is it more beneficial to have employers that are, I guess, ready to engage with you as a veteran, trying to understand your mindset, things like that. And if you did have a company ready for it and was open to you as a veteran, would you be ready to share, I guess, and be more open with your experience in the military? I think so. Yeah. I mean, most of us, I think most of us talk, you know, like, I mean, it's, I know when I first got out, you know, like the guys I was in with, I mean, at least, you know, different like stupid stories and stuff like that. That's all you really talk about, you know, like, you know, all my buddy, you know, we were out doing this or whatever, you know, it's, it's stories like that. Cause I mean, that's really the stuff we love about, I mean, if we're being honest, that's the stuff we remember, the stuff we really loved about being in was like, you know, kind of, uh, you know, the stupid stories, you know, the goofing mm-hmm. off and, and all that, you know, so, um, and that's maybe why a lot of infantry guys have a hard time adjusting just because you know you're not um you're not sitting in your room playing xbox or playstation you know 
like <laughs> for two or three hours out of the day. Um, you know, probably don't put that on your resume. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I think so. I think the quicker you can get a guy purpose, um, when they get out, the, the better you're going to be. I mean, that hands down, I mean, like, you know, when you talk like it, it's so it's, it's funny because, you know, you, you ever listen, uh, I remember at one point, you know, I was really bad off. Like I was very suicidal and stuff like that. And, um, or at least suicidal thoughts. And, and, um, I remember going to a therapist and like, I was looking for a job. Right. And like, I, I couldn't find a job. Like, uh, it was probably, you know, around 2009, 2010. So the economy was still pretty bad at that point. And, and I was sitting there talking to this therapist and they're taking me through all this stuff and, you know, different things that I need to do, like being grounded or, and all this difference. Like, and I'm like, I need a job. Like, I don't have a purpose, you know, like I'm going to walk out of here and I don't have anything to do the rest of the day. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm gonna put in applications and, and, you know, whatever, you know, maybe I'll look into taking this class or, you know, um, you know, going to school for this or that. And, and, but I'm like, I don't have purpose, you know? So like that, that's the problem here. Like it, yeah. it's, it's, it, I mean, maybe there's some other underlying issues, but, but if I don't have purpose in life, then, like that's pretty important if someone is suicidal, right? Like this person needs a purpose to live. And, and unfortunately, like, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say unfortunately, but that's a big reason why we do what we do. Um, it's, or why we, why we struggle because we had this great big purpose when we got out and, um, or when, while we were in and then, then it's nothing. Well, I think um, everybody needs that too. I think you, that, you know, yeah. not many people can go on with, out purpose and especially i imagine being in the military where you have um something to do you know all day every day or your mindset is at least that you've got purpose to to stay alive and to keep going and then you come home and it's like you know you're applying and nothing is going through i can imagine that makes you also feel like you're a failure in a sense and you lose whatever purpose you might have what's incredible to me is like so many psychologists and 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 things like that. Um, I, I feel like they forget their basic, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like that's like psychology one hundred and one. Yeah, you know pyramid. what I mean? <laughs> like the yeah that that pyramid of like um, you know I have it pulled up because I, I honestly forgot it, but it, it's very simple. At the very base of that pyramid is your physiological needs. So you know your air, food, water, shelter, clothing, sleep. Um, and if you don't have a job, which is the next thing, safety needs, but if you don't have a job, you can't provide half of those things. Mm-hmm. And right. so it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's great to tell somebody, hey, you need to actualize yourself and, and realize this. But with the hierarchy of needs, like the first thing you need to do is how can you get that person the the basic needs so that they can be successful, <laughs> then find their purpose to continue and sustain and be successful. Mm-hmm. And like finding the purpose is the easiest way to initially get somebody there. Like you can, you can throw a bunch of needs at somebody, right? Somebody's hungry, give them some food. Somebody needs shelter, you know, give them a a blanket or or a house or, you know, at the most extreme level. But once they're there, what's that sustaining next step? Like, you know, once you get them out of the rut to where they now have a house, now their belly's full, like, what are you providing that's going to give them a purpose to keep going and provide for those yep. those things for themselves? Yeah. And that's where a lot of programs, I feel like, fall short. And it's, you know, bring, bring it back full circle to 
to kind of what fairways for warriors does like yes they do provide things where it's like it seems like a handout or a gift but then there's the higher purpose of you know connecting with veterans doing the the pay it forward you know how can you help the next person who's struggling um you know how are you going to connect with other veterans that are in a similar situation um how can you once you get on your feet and you are able to provide for yourself then be able to provide for somebody else Mm -hmm. and like that needs to be the structure of all of the veteran programs that needs to be the structure of all of the psychologists and things that are trying to help veterans is like get to the basics work somebody from the base up but make sure they have the basic needs and then move on to the next step well i imagine that's what leads to a lot of these daily suicides too is not having that proper structure having a lack of purpose sitting at home all day with nothing to do or your, your mind is taking over every aspect of your life where you're constantly reminiscing about deployments and the things that you've witnessed you don't have a job you don't have anything that can distract you from those thoughts and so Absolutely. it's almost like your your mind is taking over your your body and it's it's destroying itself and so it's like if people aren't out there you know trying to offer jobs or or even if that's on the extreme level of someone coming home at least having like a purpose of like signing up to be part of a group to where you can be outside with other people and you can somehow start to get your bearings back slowly to when then you can be in a better headspace to then start applying for work i mean there's got to be a step-by-step that can help alleviate some of these you know suicidal thoughts that these soldiers are having yeah yeah definitely i mean that, that's uh you know to 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 further that, I mean, I guess we were talking about leadership. It, it was really interesting, and I, I didn't get into all this just because it's not applicable. But, um, you, you know, I mean, I, I had a way of making things harder on myself, and I think we all do, right? Mm-hmm. Like to a certain extent, especially once once you throw alcohol in the mix, especially if you're if you're an alcoholic, you you don't have control over that. Like, um, things fall apart quick, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and and then you know, you just like, well, I'll just drink more, and they'll, they'll seem more so i mean that's essentially what happened to me even even while i was in um still i wrestled with alcoholism i got a i got a dui right before i got out not not before i got out before we deployed so i was first team leader assistant squad leader um things are actually going pretty well um as far as my career went i mean it seemed like i was gonna be able to you know i was gonna end up re-enlisting different things like that well right before i picked up corporal i I got busted down to a pfc so back down to east E2, um, they took my, my team from me and all this right before we deployed, broke, I mean, crushed me. I was like, there's no coming back from this. I'm like, I can't, you know, like it took my team. I mean, I've been in for almost three years now. This, this sucks. You know, <laughs> like, what do I do? And you know what? I just, the guy they put in charge with charging me, I said, you know what? You've been in for however long. I was like, you do what you got to do. I'll do what you tell me to do. Uh, you know, I'll do anything I can to, to help you out. Um, anyway, you know, did my punishment. We got ready to deploy. They gave me my team back. I ended up being first squad leader, assistant team leader, PFC now, E2. Um, we deployed. Our squad leader got hurt. The, well, he got a concussion and was sent back to the rear. Um, so I became the acting squad leader. And E2, you know, I've got Lance Corporals, e, you know, E3s, even I think it ended up having an E4 in my, in my squad. I had nothing, I had no rank to go off of. 
all I had was building respect and showing those guys that I'll do anything I can to get them home alive and to take care of them. Yeah. And up to the point, and this isn't, I'm not tooting my own horn or anything, but this is one of, there's no award I could have got, uh, that that's more important than this. My company command, the platoon, platoon commander came to me and I went and asked him, I said, you look, I'm, I'm a POC. You know, like, obviously they're probably going to want a sergeant or a corporal at least to, you know, fill this role. So what was, what, what's, what's the future hold? And he's like, it's your job. It's, it's your squad. And he said, I just was, was just in a meeting where the battalion commander was there and the company commander, um, and he, uh, the battalion commander asked, he's like, you got a PFC squad leader. What's this all about? And he said, the company commander looked at him and he said, he's willing to die for his guys and his guys are willing to die for him. What else does he need? Mm-hmm. And, you know, like that is, that's where I learned leadership, mm-hmm. right? Like, and, and that's where the corporate world is always going to miss the mark when it comes to leadership yep. because they don't understand that there comes a time when title when all those things go out the window and it's about respect, it's about respecting the people that look up to you. It's about respecting just the people that aren't, you aren't in charge of, you know, like we, we have really detached from that. Like, um, and, and the corporate world is, I think the corporate world really does. And, and, you know, the military does too. I mean, there's guys who get rank and they feel like they don't have to do anything to earn any respect. They just, you respect the rank and, um, yep. But if, if, if you, you know, I think, I don't know how you teach that, right? How do you, <laughs> how do you teach that? How do you put that in a manual? Um, um, yeah. But it was, it, it was my greatest accomplishment, honestly. Like uh, I, I look back at it, you know, got a couple of awards and, and went and did a couple of appointments with that one statement right there. I was like, you know, that's all I ever needed. That's great, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can see why that stuck with you for so long, but honestly, like you said that, and that's going to stick with me is like, cause I, I tell people, you know, in this leadership development course, especially that I'm you know going to be teaching to people is like, I, I, I spent a significant amount of time differentiating between management and leadership. And if you don't mind, I'm going to steal exactly your example because <laughs> like that's incredibly powerful for people to understand is like, you can be in a position and it's not because of rank or title, but just because everybody else has respect and understands that you are the most knowledgeable and you mm-hmm. are the most able and capable person for that position. Like that is true leadership. Like that is right there. Why rank title, you know, the title of management in whatever case doesn't matter is when the person is willing to die with you or die for you. Like that's incredible. Well, I think that all stems from who we are as human beings, as a species as well, from where we all come from in a sense that like, you know, let's look at it like caveman days. If it's like the person is up there collecting food and is feeding his tribe and is building shelter, you know, he doesn't even have to be the king's son, but people are going to follow him because they know that he can lead. He can, he can make sure that everybody else is going to survive and is going to stay fed. So I think it's kind of like if you use that analogy in a, in a corporate world, I mean, I'll be honest as a civilian, like, dude, we're selfish. Like we want to advance as fast as we can. 
We want to make as much money as quickly as possible. And we're kind of willing to do whatever we it takes to get there, even if it shuts the other guy out and he loses his job. That's on the extreme side of things. But I think that, you know, a lot of us really do think for ourselves when we join a job, we get all excited and we are a part of a team. But somehow that team building after a year or two, maybe some people can keep it going a little bit longer, but you start to fall short and you start to kind of focus on yourself. You know, you go home and, and talk about, oh, well, fucking Karen pissed me off today and <laughs> fucking Bob ate my spaghetti out of the fridge. The fucking asshole. You know, like you start like hating on each other and picking apart little like bullshit things that that annoy you and it starts dividing your company. And so I think that with the military, I can just imagine that there's an accountability that's that's held there and there's a pecking order to where it keeps everything perfectly in order. And I think that if corporate companies and, you know, civilian businesses had more of that like passionate structure to where the CEO and the managers and key holders and everything else can almost take a shirt off their back and using another analogy here. But, you know, if they see that one of their most, even an intern is struggling that really wants to be there, it's like, Hey, you know what? I've got a bunch of meetings today, but fuck it. Let's go grab a sandwich. You know, let's talk about what's bothering you. Cause I want to be here for you. And you know, you need some money for lunch. You know, you forgot your lunch today. Like I know it's just little bullshit things here and there. But I think those gestures really go a mile with a lot of employees that really want to like grow within that company. Yeah, absolutely. And no, it, I mean, it would help I veterans that, that's too. That's one of the things we we lost in like the recession. A lot of companies like it's funny because you hear old timers like talk about now like they're like you know you you young kids don't stay with a company very long. Yeah, it's like that's well, true. You, you came up in a time when you know like you had office Christmas parties. You had you mm-hmm. know. Um, bonuses like where that's a christmas bonuses were a big thing and i mean you've seen them kind of dwindle away and and it's like well you know these companies also aren't fostering a, uh, an environment where you know like like you have to feel like that though you listen to your boss and and all that you like you got to know that he needs you you know right like yeah. <laughs> like you know most of the time you know i think with the, the way business has become it's it's more like um you know you can you need this job if you're here, you know, if you're not here tomorrow, then we'll just replace you. And, and I mean, I guess that's fair. Um, you know, but, uh, but it shouldn't be like, like that's, that's an, I guess if it comes down to that necessity, that shouldn't be the norm. Yeah. You that, know, like, that should be the uh, first topic that you bring up is like, Oh, if you want to leave, you know, we have somebody else to put in your place. Yeah. You know, it should be opposite. It should be, I don't want you to leave. And what are we doing wrong? that is making you want to leave. Like what needs to change? And again, going back, I don't even care if you're an intern, you know, if you see something wrong with the structure, um, if something is bothering you, I think it's worth a meeting for everyone to sit down and talk and figure out what it is that needs to be readjusted. You know, as somebody who works in kind of the corporate area, I've definitely seen both instances of both things happening is where, they're ready to in in the wrong meeting setting jump into who's at fault what happened you know why is it so and so's fault that something happened whereas it should be much more about like okay as a project or as a team something happened that caused us some headache some heartburn or you know caused us to fail at mm-hmm. this 
what can we do as a team to get better instead of pointing the fingers of, Oh, it was you that forgot to do this. So it was you that forgot to do that. And that's something that definitely does not happen. I'm actually implementing that more and more with the project teams that I'm working on is I'm actually like ingraining a lot more of my military experience into the corporate world where I'm like, look guys, I, I like stopped in the middle of the meeting. I said, guys, we got to stop. I was like, let's talk about this at a different time. Let's set up a time where after this project is finished that we can do an after action review. We can go through the whole thing of, you know, what should have happened, what actually happened, where were the mistakes, where were the successes? Let's highlight the successes. Let's come up with a plan for the failures. And it's, I think to it's, address it. Yeah, and I think it's maybe holding everybody accountable yeah. as, as a team rather than signaling out one person. Cause like, exactly. you know, it's kind of like, you know, from me just understanding the basic principles of boot camp in a sense that if one guy falls behind, it's going to drag the rest of the team down yep. and everybody's got to get down and do push ups or run laps. Yeah. And yep. everybody hates on that guy for doing that. But at the same time, eventually it helps that team building. And it helps them want to almost lift that person up and motivate them so that nobody else has to struggle. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. I guess, uh, you know, to, to, to wrap things up here sh shortly, cause I know we're, yeah. Kenny, I know it's getting late. Yeah. Family. We're pushing, we're pushing <laughs> no, two I, hours already. I, yeah, so. I, didn't, <laughs> I, I was like looking, I was looking at the time all throughout this and I was like, okay, I'm, you know, kind of, trying to draw it to an end i'm like because i'll get long i'm long-winded i mean i don't know if y'all picked up on that oh well, we, we are too <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um and, you know i seen the time going by and i was like you know i thought maybe like i thought they wanted to keep it like an hour i better shut up you know and and but i mean this has been amazing guys i mean i mean really just uh you know what you're doing here is something different it's uh it's, it's a, I'm just glad to be part of it. Of um, course. And we're happy that, uh, we got to meet you and you're, you're so close to us in North Carolina. I feel like, uh, when I get back from this trip of documenting other veterans, we all got to get together in, in a safe environment, obviously with the pandemic still going on, but I think it'd be great for, you know, if we can do like a small little get together, a little barbecue or just, you know, do something, I think it'd be kind of nice to, to see you again and, and do something fun and, and reconnect and talk more on some of these points that we're talking about. But, um, yeah, like, like you said, I mean, most, I think most of our podcasts, we, we've kind of been going over two hours well, and that's it, just cause we get so wrapped up in hearing these stories. And it's like, I mean, <laughs> we could talk for five, six hours and it's, I don't ever want to stop somebody from telling their full story. Yeah. And it's like, you know, we said it at the beginning is, is, is it doesn't matter what your experience is in the military. Like everybody has a story mm -hmm. to be shared and everybody has a voice and, and we want to be that platform that, you know, everybody can feel comfortable and, and, you know, the bad things we can talk about, or we don't have to do, we can highlight all the the fun things and the funny things that happen in the military, or we can talk about all the sad things. But at the end of the day, for this podcast, we've been talking to veterans Yep. and everybody has that transition of post-service, you know, how did they adapt? How did they overcome? How did they you know, find a job? Was it a struggle? Where did they, you know, have hiccups along the way? And what we're finding more and more people that we talk to is we all have the exact same experience, some to more so the extremes than others, but we all struggled with, you know, how do we re-engage with society and 
you know, take on a job or go to school or, um, you know, be with family, you know, wholeheartedly and, and spiritually in mind and, and physical, um, location, but you know, how, how do we get back to society and, and, and what can we do to make it easier for other veterans to understand that? And hopefully it'll make it easier for them to realize their own, I guess, fault and failures from our experiences. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. No, I, I mean, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's fun. I mean, I, I've, I even ran into uh, another veteran a couple of days ago and just, I had to re I had to like, I don't know about you, but I've had to readjust my thinking like so much. Um, like, for, for instance, you know, we, I blame third idea a lot for a lot of what happened in Nazaria and, and the days leading up to that. Um, I couldn't stand third ID. Like, I think if I would have seen, met someone from third ID, uh, you know, the month following that, I mean, it would have been a fight. Like I just <laughs> hands down, you know, like we're going to fight. I don't, I don't care if you were there. I don't care what, I, you know, I could care less, man. Um, just, you know, and so a couple of years, you know, took a couple of years to get out of that. And now, I mean, I, we, we, we pick, I, you know, pick with army guys, but honestly, I've met some of them that, you know, I, I like better than, you know, um, <laughs> you know, some of my Marine buddies, yeah. um, you know, so it, I've had to readjust that thinking and, um, and, and, but every time I do, it's nothing short of a blessing, you know, because it opens me up to, to meet these other, other people and hear their story. And I say that cause I, I ran a, I ran across a, a guy, um, and I was just listening to his story while I was in, he ended up not deploying. Um, I think he was kicked out for some behavioral stuff. Um, but I heard his struggle. Like I heard his voice, like I, I like the pain. Cause you know, like the same, this guy went to MEPS and he was excited about joining and he mm-hmm. was willing to die for his country. And it ended like that, yeah, you know, like, yeah. and, and how many of those guys are part of that 22 a day? Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, um, so, I mean, even there, you know, I think a lot of times we feel like we don't owe them anything cause they didn't serve their time honorably. Um, but you know, like circumstances suck sometimes. You know, like they 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 culminate into something we don't expect. And um, I had to change my way of thinking on that too. And like, uh, and like you know what, uh, you know, and, and maybe you know we'll credit Tom. Um, you know, just because, uh, you know, if not me, then who, right? Like, if who's not if if I don't help this person, you mm-hmm. know, someone else looks at their situation. Um, and you know, either way, it's another, bro- it's a brother that would potentially take his own life. Yep. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, civilian or veteran, we're all in this together. Uh, you know, we're all human beings and we all have our own struggles and we need to figure out how we can come together and, and help each other individually overcome those battles and also, you know, together. And, uh, you know, that kind of leads me to, you know, Kenny, to thank you to connect to me, those guys in Ohio that I'll be going up to and, you know, capturing their photos you know, some of your brothers from combat and, uh, you know, I'm just excited that this book is kind of going to, what's funny is it's almost going to be like a military yearbook. Like (laughs) you're going to see a bunch of guys that know a bunch of guys and they're going to be like, Oh fuck, he's in this book too. Like that's badass. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's going to be like this shit bags in this book. Why why is this dude in here? Like he shouldn't be anywhere near this. Why did he, he got fat, man. It was like, yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> oh, look, I'll shit. be honest with you. And like I told you, I was texting you, you know, th- that unit was just different 
like for whatever reason, you know, like we've that that group of guys get together every year. Like and most of us got out in 2006, 2008. Um, but they they get together about every year. Like yeah. um which is pretty amazing. Oh like, yeah. Um and you can tell they've seen some the, shit even from just talking to them on the phone. Yeah. Like uh the company first sergeant, the company commander, the company ex like I mean, um my former platoon commander, I mean, like it comes and mingles with the guys. Like these you know, like this isn't an all brass meeting. I mean, it's just guys that have nothing other nothing else in common, you know. Then they were in three two together. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, we we I remember I went to a, a a reunion that we did up in DC, and I mean, the group of guys that we had walking around together, like people had to look at that, like, like what do these people have in common? <laughs> like, you know, like, one guy's got a cowboy hat on, the other guy's like, I mean, he looks like he's from the hood. And like, what what's going on here? You know, like mm-hmm. the big crowd of you know a lot of them were Hispanic guys, and I mean, we had nothing in common, um, but. But man, it, it, it was like, it, it was, it's painful to leave them. Like yeah. Yeah. I, a lot of us don't go because, um, you know, like once you, once you leave, you're like, you're like back in the suck, you know, like, it's just like, yeah. man, this is horrible. Like, I, I feel like a little baby, you know, like you're like, like driving home, like moping for like the next week because you're like, um, and it's just, it's so cool because yeah. you get, get around them and you just, you're there again, you mm-hmm. know, like same joke, same everything, just, um, but uh that's cool well, kenny man it's been a pleasure like having you just uh you know come on here and and for wanting to share your story and and uh it definitely opened my eyes and taught me you know a few things that i didn't know even from the veterans we've been talking to on a daily basis and uh you know i'm looking forward to having you in this book and and sharing more of your story with other people too absolutely and i I'm, thank you for you know including those guys i know um you know prince particularly he, he he texted me and said you know thanks for including me and uh I, you know it's just by chance a couple months ago he sent me a message and said hey call me sometime and when you said you were going to Ohio he was the first one I called because uh, I knew he had um I think he's uh I, I'm really excited I'm, I'm glad thank you for doing that that's uh, that's huge to me yeah um, anytime man well thanks again uh enjoy your night and let's keep in touch brother Absolutely. Thank you. I, I appreciate you giving me two hours of your life. And, uh, <laughs> anytime, man. It's, it's been awesome. Yeah. All, All right, right, brother. Talk to you soon. All right. Take care, guys. Mm-hmm.